The following program is brought to you by the Disability Channel. For more information, go to www.thedisabilitychannel.ca. The Disability Channel, showcasing abilities. This podcast is an exploration of the term disability in Canada, how much it has changed and evolved over the last few decades. In each episode, you'll hear from someone who has a disability, and they will share what this label means to them. No two stories are the same, but the purpose to each of them is clear. Sharing the journey of some can offer a roadmap towards hope for those still navigating the label of disability. According to the Ontario Human Rights Code, the term disability is defined in five parts. 1. Any degree of physical disability, infirmity, malformation, or disfigurement that is caused by bodily injury, birth defect, or illness, such as paralysis, amputation, lack of physical coordination, blindness or visual impediment, deafness or hearing impairment, muteness or speech impediment, or physical reliance on a guide dog or other animal, or on a wheelchair, or on other remedial appliance or device. 2. A condition of mental impairment or developmental disability. 3. A learning disability or dysfunction in one or more of the processes involved in understanding or using symbols or spoken language. 4. A mental disorder. Or 5. An injury or disability for which benefits were claimed received under the insurance plan established under the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act of 1997. When it comes to getting a diagnosis, there isn't one route to take. There are a variety of ways to find answers, whether it's public or private health care. The medical professionals in your circle of care can play an important part in uncovering what's going on and help you move towards an accurate diagnosis. In this episode, I will be sharing my own personal journey navigating the healthcare system for a diagnosis. It wasn't a straight line, and being properly diagnosed is easier said than done. In my case, the diagnosis wasn't actually my greatest obstacle. Unlike my brother, who shared in an earlier episode that he was diagnosed as a child, I wasn't tested or diagnosed until I was 29 years old. Up until then, I struggled with an invisible barrier, which caused me to give up and self-sabotage. I was also self-medicating, and, not surprisingly, these only exacerbated my problem and caused my family to withdraw. Full disclosure, this episode will be discussing issues of mental health and addiction. For anonymity purposes, I have chosen to change the names of the doctors mentioned. Aside from that, I have tried my best to present what happened and how I felt at the time. Trying to navigate the healthcare system is challenging enough as it is, and I got to witness firsthand how mental health and addiction were taboo subjects which, I believe, delayed me getting the help I really needed. placed on a 72-hour observation in the mental health ward at Brampton Civic Hospital. 
I arrived at the ER in handcuffs, following an incident at home, and I was seen by the psychiatrist on call, whom I will refer to as Dr. White. A psychiatrist is a medical practitioner specializing in the diagnosis and treatment of mental illness, and they have the ability to prescribe medication to their patients. Dr. White gave me two options that day. Discharge from the ER and continue down my self-destructive path without the support of my family, or stay and use the time to make a plan. I reluctantly chose the latter. After six weeks as an inpatient, followed by three weeks at an addiction treatment center, I was tentatively welcomed back into my family home. Yet the sad fact is, I wasn't choosing to participate in treatment for myself, but to appease those around me. The day I left treatment, I got high. In the following months, I continued to struggle, self-medicating to cope with my feelings alongside my inability to regulate them. Dr. White was still in the picture, offering day treatment programs, support groups, as well as one-on-one -on -one appointments. These appointments were regular, and I wouldn't see Dr. White for months at a time. After my stay in the mental health ward, the do we need to go to the hospital question translated in my head as a threat of going back to that mental health ward for good. I was afraid of losing control of my life, yet I'm grateful for the time I spent in that ward because it was the time I needed to get back in balance with reality. It is critical to have someone in your circle of care who you see on a regular basis, who will hold you accountable, and most important, call you out. I saw and was treated by Dr. White for nearly three years, but I didn't make any meaningful progress. Most check-ins, I got the feeling that I was wasting Dr. White's time. In all fairness, Ontario's public health care system has been, and continues to be, overloaded, usually only providing emergency care. Hospitals triage cases, they deal with immediate and life-saving interventions, but were limited in what mental health support services they could provide in an emergency setting. On-call psychiatrists dealt with dozens of cases, more often than not just putting out the immediate fires and moving on. In early 2017, after three years of check-ins with no visible progress, I asked Dr. White for a referral to another doctor. I asked to see someone who specialized in both addiction and mental health. Through word of mouth, Dr. Pink received glowing reviews. The only drawback was that Dr. Pink had an extensive waiting list. I would have to wait one full year before seeing Dr. Pink. My own addictions counselor at the time said Dr. Pink was worth the wait. So I waited 12 long months, but I remained hopeful that Dr. Pink was going to help me find the answers I sought. In September 2018, the morning of the appointment day, I received a message from Dr. Pink's secretary. My appointment was cancelled. I called Dr. Pink's secretary the following day and tried to explain how long I'd been waiting to see Dr. Pink. Eventually, I was offered another appointment months later. I had only three appointments with Dr. Pink, whose office was located inside the hospital, and each appointment presented new challenges. My first impression of Dr. Pink wasn't positive, but distant and arrogant. I felt so confused. 
I'd done everything I could to access the proper healthcare provider. My second appointment, I was 30 minutes late. The office was already closed by the time I arrived, and I was charged $125 for my absence. Many doctors dealing in subspecialties have policies of charging patients if the appointment is cancelled within 24 hours. But what recourse does a patient have when a doctor cancels the appointment with little to no notice? To add insult to injury, Dr. Pink had a policy that until the balance owed is paid in cash, no future appointments would be rescheduled. Interesting enough, this policy of charging patients went against hospital policy. Apparently, because the doctor had an office within the hospital, they were not permitted to charge any additional fees. It wasn't until after reaching out to the patient ombudsman office that they came to my rescue and had the fine rescinded. My complaint helped the hospital uncover other specialists who were also abusing their power and breaking their agreements. I knew then that my third appointment with Dr. Pink would be my last. When I told my parents my choice, they suggested that I prepare some notes of what I wanted to say ahead of time. The night before, I wrote down my concerns as a patient under Dr. Pink's care, from the cancellation of my appointment on the first day to the policy of paying fines before booking more appointments and the failure of not reminding patients about upcoming appointments. A follow-up phone call and a reminder for visits might make a world of difference. I know it would have for me. Still, the preparation helped steady my nerves about challenging Dr. Pink. As I began my prepared statement, I remember my hands shaking. The response I got from Dr. Pink was not surprising, but defensive. The first appointment was caused by a confusion with the referral, and thus the staff were to blame for the cancellation. The fines were defended as a tool to deter those who weren't serious about getting treatment. I believe Dr. Pink went so far as to refer to these kinds of patients as, quote, untrustworthy, unreliable, and didn't deserve your empathy or understanding, end quote. Not once in that appointment did I hear Dr. Pink apologize or empathize with me as a patient. Let's jump back to September of 2018, the morning of my first appointment when Dr. Pink's secretary informed me that my appointment was cancelled. I remember feeling angry and lost over the whole thing. My mother, though, feeling my desperation, sought out the advice of a psychologist in the private sector of healthcare. Lo and behold, she managed to get the last appointment on the same day as my first appointment with Dr. Pink. A psychologist is an expert or specialist, not a medical practitioner, and therefore can't prescribe medications. This psychologist, Dr. Blue, was a familiar face for me and my family. Dr. Blue had seen me when I was 15 years old. Back then, I was brutally honest and shared what I knew about myself as a teenager, that I was attracted to men and how I uncovered that little nugget of truth. A one-page assessment of me was made and placed in my file. 
When I went to meet Dr. Blue that evening on September 2018, the very same assessment of me at 15 was used as a launching pad for our three-hour session. During the session, I grew more optimistic because Dr. Blue heard me and empathized with my struggles. I discovered the motive behind some of my self-destructive behaviors was because of a past trauma. It was reassuring to have an open-minded professional understand me and agree with me that tests needed to be done in order to get an accurate diagnosis. This extensive testing wasn't inexpensive, and it took four or five sessions over the course of three months to complete. Suffice to say, there is no quick fix. But without these tests being done, I would have continued to struggle through life believing that I was simply broken. Instead, I found a doctor who acknowledged my circumstances and took the time to get me answers. Once I had an accurate diagnosis, it didn't mean my life became more manageable overnight. Even with this vital information, it took another two years before I got to see a psychiatrist I trusted and began the medication trials, which helped me regulate my emotions to make life manageable. fully admit to playing a role in each of these, the environment and by association the person wearing the white coat greatly impacted my destination. I learned with Dr. White that I needed to take an active role in my own well-being. With Dr. Pink, it was a critical experience to learn that I had choices and wanted my healthcare professional to respect my decisions and care about my well-being. Dr. Blue worked in the private sector, yes, but began their career in public health care and once described working in public health as, quote, having one hand tied behind your back by all the red tape you have to cut through for your patients, end quote. Having a disability that is invisible and in the field of mental health and addiction can feel insurmountable at times. I share my experience publicly as a cautionary tale to the listeners traveling the healthcare highway. I believe that the therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel, and the same is true for patients lending a helping hand to the next one in line. As a patient still navigating the healthcare system in Canada, I am reminded to stand up for myself, that the white coat doesn't mean they know everything, and I can ask for a second or third opinion. It's my life. But while doing so, to have patience with the process. To me, the term disability is not always a hindrance, just as it is not always an advantage. The term disability, to me, is a discovery of my identity. And seeking a diagnosis has been a humbling, heartbreaking, and hopeful experience. For navigating the label of disability, I'm Ryan Jeffrey.